Today's scripture will be Joshua 1, 7 through 9. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditated on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. As we begin to emerge from this pandemic, in many ways we are entering a new and unknown world. There will be new obstacles and new opportunities. Much the same could be said about Joshua and the Israelites when they crossed the river and entered the new world of the Promised Land. What was God's answer for their uncertainty? A constant and compelling message we all need to hear. Be strong and courageous. Today is a day of new starts, and we are starting a new sermon series called Strong and Courageous. We're going to look at the story of Joshua and the Israelites from the Old Testament. And while our story today is very different from theirs, we have some things to learn as we look at their story and how it relates to our story. And there are some very relevant principles and some dynamics happening between God and his people that I think inform who we are and how we move forward into the world in front of us today. So we're going to spend some time in Joshua over the next few weeks. We're glad that you joined us online. Those of you who are here, it is good to be together. If you have a Bible, you might open it to Joshua chapter 1. That's where we're going to start today in just a few moments. While you're doing that, let me remind you that as we start each Sunday morning series, we have new bookmarks available in the lobby for Discovery Bible Study. For those of you who like the physical piece of paper, those are out there. Take one or two or three or a dozen of those and maybe share them with others, but use them as a resource. This is also on our website under the Resources tab. And again, this is a resource for you to use to sit down open up the Bible, and go deeper into God's words. Questions are already there. You don't even have to prepare anything. You just go through the questions together and watch what God does in you and through you. So those are available outside and also on our website. Let me also use this opportunity to remind you each week about our sermon discussion resources. We started this a few weeks ago. Here's a short conversation starter video on our YouTube channel. It'll be there available later today and the rest of this week. There's also attached to that a discussion guide, a PDF with questions and some scriptures to go through. And the purpose is to dive deeper into the text, the topic, and to apply some of the things that, that we talk about in worship, some of the things we talk about in the sermon, in the message on Sunday. We don't want to leave that message in this room. We want it to go with us. And God has something to say to you. And God, I think, has something to say through you. And so spend some time, maybe later this evening, maybe later this week. I know one of our adult classes uses this as a curriculum on Wednesday night. What a great opportunity that is to, to open up the Word of God together. So those resources are available. Please use them so that you can grow in your knowledge of Scripture, but not just your knowledge, a knowledge that transforms your life. Like many of you... I received my vaccination for COVID. I got my second shot 
on Monday, and so now I guess the government has been tracking me for about a week now. Can we joke about that yet? I don't know, maybe not. Oh, well. (laughs) But I got to tell you, that second shot hit me hard. (laughs) It knocked me down for a day or two. And I had multiple people say to me, well, if, it, you know, if you had side effects, that's good, that's good, that means it's working. I said, well, what about the people who didn't have side effects? Well, it works on them too. I'm thinking, okay, I can get the vaccine and have side effects and it will work, or I can get the vaccine and it not have side effects and it will work. <laughs> I choose this one. <laughs> I choose the one with no side effects. But we don't get to choose, do we? I, I didn't get to choose, and so... That's what happened to me. It knocked me out of commission for a couple of days. But in my mind, that is a small price to pay to keep me possibly from getting this dreadful virus. And and maybe even more than that, to keep someone else, maybe someone vulnerable, from getting it from me. And so I'm willingly and thankful to do that. You know, vaccines are just one of the things that, that many of us are doing to prepare for and even contribute to a new post-pandemic world. You've probably heard that term, post-pandemic, that adjective, I guess, used with world or society or culture or church or organization or your company, your business or your family. What is this post-pandemic world that we are stepping into? Well, we don't really know, do we? I mean, we don't know what it's going to be like. I mean, we can guess and we can see some things around us, Uh, But you can go online and there are all kinds of blogs and podcasts and articles and editorials being written about what this post-pandemic world will be like, about some of the trends that people studied before COVID that have maybe accelerated through COVID and and some of the changes that, that that will bring about in this new world, things such as is how work is done. I mean, many of you have been working from home, or you've been working uh, via mobile virtual tools, and, and some of you guys haven't worn pants in a year, I know. You've been on your computer screen in meetings, Zoom meetings, and so the nature of how we work and where we work is certainly changing. I, I think in many ways education is changing, and the way we educate our young people, and, and maybe we've learned some things through the things that we've tried and done and successes and non-successes. There's all kinds of things that are happening in this new world. Maybe a a global cooperation effort on some healthcare issues or economic issues. Certainly, we seem to be moving closer and closer to a cashless society. That's what experts are saying, where paper money will virtually be, not useless, but gone because everything will be virtual and And many of the people up here don't even know what checks are, never seen a check with their actual eyes, and that trend seems to be accelerated. Brick and mortar retail, is that going by the wayside? So there's there's lots of societal changes, but at the same time with some of these trends and some of these changes, as we all know, there are cultural waves and political waves and social waves washing over this new world. It's a different world. We seem to be more polarized, don't we, in the world? Politically, on social issues, there seems to be this underlying anxiety level among so many people. And we are, in many ways, more connected. I mean, this pandemic has 
has forced many of us to a virtual world, trying to stay connected virtually. I mean, even in church, we're trying to use these resources to, to keep people connected to God and to each other. But as we are forced to this virtual world, how many of us, maybe even many of our young people, are finding their identity in that world? Finding the much-needed validation and affirmation in that world? Which can be frightening, because is that world true reality? So there are a lot of things that are different. There are a lot of challenges. There are a lot of things going on. In many ways over the past year, we saw the, the sort of ugly underbelly of Christian nationalism and some of the challenges that that brings about, especially for the church and in the church. So there's, I could go on and on. There, there's so many cultural and social and political things happening in our world. It is a new world. It is a different world. One author said this about the pandemic. Historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. And I think that's true. As we begin to think about this pandemic, and hopefully and prayerfully we are beginning to come out of it, whatever that looks like, there may be some ups and downs, but hopefully we're making it through it. And in many ways it is a portal, isn't it? It's a doorway, it's a gateway into a new world with new obstacles, but also new opportunities. One author I've really enjoyed reading recently is Todd Bolsinger. And even before COVID even hit, even before COVID was on the radar, this is what he said. In every field, in every business, every organization, leaders are rapidly coming to the awareness that the world in front of us is radically different from everything behind us. And this was before COVID. This was just commenting on the ever-changing nature of our world. There are always new obstacles. There are always trends. There are always new opportunities. And so this is a new world in front of us. And for many of us, when we face a new world, when we find ourselves toes on the edge of the cliff, looking over the cliff and seeing so much uncertainty, so much unknown, so much that we don't necessarily like or want to be a part of, what is our response? It is to back up. To back up and even go back. How many times over the past year, if you're like me, have you said or thought something like, I just wish we could go back to normal. I wish we could just go back to the way things were. I wish we could just do the things we used to do. I mean, I, I wanted to go back, go back to a time. Do you remember a time when the word Zoom just meant something a car did? <laughs> we just want to go back. And sometimes that's, that's our mindset in general. And that's where we dwell. We dwell on the past. And we talk about the good old days. And we get to frame that however we want because we're presenting it. And so we talk about this decade or this era of time. And those were the good old days because of this or because of that. Well, probably, maybe for you, maybe for others, whatever time period that was, it was good. But maybe for others it wasn't. You see, for the Israelites, they felt the same way. God was taking them on a journey. God was leading them. You see, once they were oppressed as slaves, 
subjugated under the, the heavy hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. And God said, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to bring you out and bring you to a new world. And through his leader Moses and through this firestorm of incredible plagues that our children love to learn about, God delivered those people, his people, out of Israel. And he set them on a course to inherit their destiny, this new land, this land that he was giving them. And how did they respond? What did they do? The moment things got tough, and it seems like every moment after that, they complained, they colluded, they cried out to God. And what was their cry? We want to go back. We want to go back. One example is in Numbers chapter 14, verse 1. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land? Only to let us fall by the sword. Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. You see, they found themselves with their toes on the edge of the cliff, looking into this unknown world. And they didn't like it. We don't want to go there. We want to turn around and go back there. Yeah, but don't you know what was back there? You were slaves. You were in oppression. You were under Pharaoh's hand. Yes, but at least we knew what to expect. It was normal. It was familiar. It was comfortable. They wanted to go back. Do you know what sparked this protest by God's people to go back. Moses had just sent the 12 spies into the land, the promised land, Canaan, to scout it out. And 10 of the 12 spies came back with a report that said, yeah, well, the land is good, yes, but, but the armies are massive. The cities are fortified. The obstacles are too great to overcome. We can't go forward. We can't take the land. You see, it was fear that made them want to turn back. It was fear that made them want to return to the good old days. Fear of what might be up there caused them to turn around and go back there to what was known, what was familiar. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that nostalgia, it's a good thing. It's an emotional thing. Probably many of us can, can recall a time, a simpler time, a time when life was good. Maybe when we were a child, or maybe we lived in a certain place, or maybe we had a different job, or different friends, or maybe back in college. Or, you know, nostalgia is good. And sometimes we, we hear a song or we even smell a smell or we see something and it triggers those memories, those wonderful memories. That's great. But nostalgia is a much better rearview mirror than it is a windshield. And some of us need to let go a little bit of what is behind us so that we can press forward to what is in front of us. Maybe rather than champion the past, what if we charged into the future knowing that God was with us, that God was leading us? That would mean some things. It would mean we'd have to let go of some things. For many of us, we would have to let go of control. 
If the truth is told, that's why some of us want to turn around and go back because that was a time, that was a place when we had more control. If we've learned anything over the past year, we've said this before, we've learned that we are not in control, that God is in control. And so pressing forward means sometimes learning to let go of control and trusting that God is in control. For some of us, it means letting go of tradition and immersing ourselves in Scripture. For others, it means letting go of this idealized version of the world and choosing to engage the world where it is now with the gospel. For others, it means letting go of the fear the fear of the unknown, the fear of what might happen, and simply put our faith in God no matter what happens. You see, two of the 12 spies came back with a different report. It was the minority report, not what everyone else said. Isn't it interesting how faith shapes perspective? I mean, stop and think about that for a minute. All 12 of these spies saw the same thing. 10 came back and said, no, there's no way. Cities are fortified, armies are too big, obstacles too great, we can't do it. And yet two of them saw something else. It's amazing how faith shapes perspective. Seeing through the eyes of faith helps us see what can be, not automatically go to what can't be. It helps us think about what we can do rather than just launch immediately into all the reasons we can't do it. So what do Joshua and Caleb say in Numbers 14, verse 8? They say, if God is with us, if God is leading us, if God is pleased with us, oh yeah, we can take the land. Absolutely. And you know know how the people responded to their report? Two verses later, verse 10, they want to stone them to death. They just simply come back with this report of good news. Yes, this can be done with God's help, and they want to kill them. That's how strongly they felt about turning around and going back. God was not pleased with with that response. God was not pleased with what his people said and did, their lack of trust, their lack of faith. And so he sent them on a detour. Remember I said he put them on course to inherit this land? Well, now he put them on a detour, a four-decade detour in the wilderness. And he said, no one over 20 years old who's cried out against me will enter that land. You won't live that long. Sure enough, that's what happened. Fast forward 40 years, that generation is gone. Moses is gone. And now Joshua, who was once Moses' aide, his trusted assistant, is now charged and commissioned by God to lead these people across the Jordan River, some estimated two, maybe 2.5 million Israelites across the Jordan into the promised land. Well, it sounds like a fairly easy job, right? I mean, logistics, nightmare, but yes, we can do that. And yet remember what's in the land. Joshua knew what was in the land. He had gotten a sneak peek. He was one of the spies. So that's where we pick up our story in Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, 
Just as I, has prom- as I have promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. One thing is very clear when you read this text. It is God who is giving this land. They aren't earning it. They don't necessarily deserve it. It is a gift from God. Have you ever wondered why it's called the promised land? (laughs) That's not just a proper name, capital P, capital L, promised land. You want to know why it's called the promised land? You ready? Because it was promised land. God had promised this land to his people. Go all the way back to Genesis 12 when it began with Abram. And God says to Abram in Genesis 12, I'm calling you out from your home, from your country, from your family to a land I am giving you. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And all nations will be blessed through you. You see, this land, this land of promise, was in the original DNA of the covenant relationship between God and his people. God made a covenant with them. And that covenant involved him giving them a new home a place of their own, this land. And they struggled. They struggled so much to accept that gift. And if you go over there today, they are still struggling with the land. There is so much struggle for that land. God is giving them this land. It is a gift from him. But even as salvation is a gift from God to us, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, not based on our works, not based on anything we do. Just as salvation is a gift from God to us, we must do what? We must receive it. We must embrace it. And God is calling his Israelites here, his people, to embrace and receive the gift. In other words, to enter the land, to take the land. But God is giving it. Just as he has given them protection and provision the whole way. And then the you, the Y-O-U, in our story shifts. First of all, it's plural, God talking to basically the Israelites. And then he focuses it to a singular you, talking to Joshua. This is what he says, beginning in verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Do you remember Joshua knew what was across the river? He was one of the spies. He knew there were obstacles. He knew there were fortified cities. He knew it wouldn't be easy, especially by human standards. And so God knows that he knows that. And so what is the prevailing message, the repeated message that God gives Joshua? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. That was the message that God wanted to implant in the heart and the mind of Joshua so that he could pass it on to the people of God, 
so that they would have what it took to let go, to let go of the past, to step forward into that future, into that new reality, that new world, the land of promise. That's what God wanted. And so he says, be strong and courageous. And while today we don't presume to be in exactly the same spot, nor have the same circumstances, and by the way, we should also be very careful not to assume that we as a nation are God's covenant nation as Israel is in the Old Testament. I think there are a lot of parallels. I think there are a lot of principles from their story that inform our story. And it's pretty clear that we need to be strong and courageous. And I think God is saying that to us today. Be strong and courageous. There is a new world in front of you. There were unknowns. There were obstacles, absolutely. There is uncertainty, but there are also opportunities. And so be strong and courageous. What does that mean? What does that look like? What did it look like back then for them? And what does it look like for us? I want to share just a couple of quick points before we wrap up. And the first one is this. Courage is connected to mission. Courage is connected to mission. God didn't want his people to be strong and courageous just for the sake of being strong and courageous. He didn't want them just to be able to flex. Evidently, in, in weightlifting and bodybuilding, there's, there's different kinds of workouts for different kinds of muscles, meaning there's something called show muscles, for appearance and something called go muscles for function and strength. Did you know this? Show muscles and go muscles and of course some of us with no muscles. But <laughs> and so you train differently if you want to look strong than maybe you would train if you want to be strong. Strength for a reason, for a purpose. When God says be strong and courageous, it's not just so that you can look good, so that you can look strong, so that you can impress everyone else. It's for a reason. It's for a purpose. God says in verse 6 to Joshua, because you will lead these people. Why am I supposed to be strong and courageous? Joshua might think, because you are to lead these people. You are to mobilize these millions of people into this new land, which, by the way, is already occupied by less than friendly hosts. So you will need to be strong and courageous. You see, that was his mission. He told Israel to be strong and courageous because you will need to take the land. That was their mission. We need strength and courage to accomplish our mission in this day, in this time. Well, what is our mission? It's the same mission that Jesus gave his followers before he ascended to heaven. It's the same mission that we plaster on our backgrounds and our bulletins. It's the same mission that were some of the last words of Jesus that should be some of our first priorities from the Great Commission in Matthew 28 when he said, go and make disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples. That's why we're here. That's what we're supposed to do in this new world. That's why we need strength and courage. We are to make disciples in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in the world. We are to develop as disciples so that we can make disciples. Our mission is to be and to develop disciples of Christ in this world. May we never forget that. No matter what's happening around us, externally or internally, 
And in case you didn't know it, we need strength and courage to do that. Especially as we enter this new world in front of us. Why? Because we are facing a world with giant armies and fortified cities. What has emerged and accelerated through this pandemic portal is a post-Christian, highly individualized, anxiety-riddled, connected but isolated, sexually misguided, hostile, nationalistic world. That's why we need strength and courage. Because within that world, there are precious souls who need Jesus. And our mission is to take Jesus to them. So what do we do? Batten down the hatches and head for the hills? Sit around and pat each other on on the back and talk about the good old days? Stay in our bubble and hope someone may stumble inside this building and maybe, just maybe, hear the gospel? No. It doesn't take strength and courage to do that. Strength and courage isn't needed when we retreat. It's only needed when we advance. And we need to advance the gospel. As important as that point is, and it is our mission, don't miss this next point. Go back to the text, verse 5. God says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says that to Joshua. And then verse 9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Just as courage is connected to mission, courage is anchored in the presence of God. Every time God tells them to be strong and courageous, he reminds them, because I will be with you. You're not alone. You see, when he says be strong and courageous, he's not saying pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and see if you can muster up enough strength to do what's needed. He's saying, trust me. He's not saying stand up on your strength. He's saying lean into the strength of God. And there's a big difference. I think he, tell it, I think he tells us the same thing today. Go back to, to our mission, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. What's the second part of that? There is the commission, the charge, the invitation to go and make disciples. And then there's the condition, the assurance. He says, and I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. When you go make disciples, you're not on your own. It's not by your strength, your knowledge, your wisdom. Do we need an understanding of the gospel? Absolutely. Do we need to share our story and how God is working? Yes. But ultimately, it is God working in us and through us because he is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Any strength that we have to overcome temptation, any strength that we have to overcome opposition, any strength and courage we have to enter a new and unknown world comes not from us and how wise we are and how experienced we are and how good we are. It comes from God. And God continually tells us that he is with us. Throughout the New Testament, John 1, the word became flesh and what? Made his dwelling among us. When the gift of Jesus is is told about and predicted, the word Emmanuel is used. And what does it mean? God with us. In John 14, Jesus says, I am sending you a helper who will be with you. 
Acts 2.38, when we are baptized into Christ, we receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16, our body is the temple of the Spirit of God who dwells in us. God is with us, and because he is with us, we can be strong. God wasn't just with Joshua and the Israelites. He is with us. And he will be with us as we move together into this new future. And any strength that we have will come from him. A few years ago, I was privileged to have the opportunity to attend a local grief seminar held by Matthew's Funeral Home. Randy brought in a speaker named Bob Willis. He was a sculptor and a speaker. And so the whole time he was speaking, he was working on this glob of clay. It was kind of fascinating. Maybe I should do that to keep some of you awake. We would start with a glob of clay, and by the end of the sermon, we would have a glob of clay. (laughs) But by the end of his talk, he had shaped this glob of clay into a perfectly smooth, three-dimensional heart. Not like an actual heart, like a scientific heart, but you know, like a Valentine's heart. And right in the middle of this heart, there was a Band-Aid. And obviously, this was a grief seminar. It was a symbol of the wounded hearts that we have when we grieve. And yet, there is hope and and there is mending of the heart. There is comfort to be found. And I'll never forget one of the stories he told as he shaped that clay into that mended, broken heart. He talked about a young family in East Tennessee. And I remember him saying, you don't really do much evangelism in East Tennessee because everyone there thinks they're already in heaven. (laughs) I guess since he was visiting here in Oklahoma, he thought we might appreciate that, and I didn't know. But he said this young family, unfortunately, one day had this tragic accident, and the mother of the family passed away. And on the day of her funeral, hundreds of people came to the funeral to support the family and to remember her. You know how those days are. They're busy, they're long, lots of hugs, lots of tears, lots of food. Finally, at the end of the day, the people had sort of all filed out, and all that was left in this quiet home was this young father and his young child. They were exhausted, and it was time to go to bed. And so Dad tucked his son in, gave him a kiss, turned off the light, and said good night. Walked down the hall a few feet to his own room, got ready for bed, got into bed, turned off the light, somehow trying to go to sleep. And it wasn't long before he heard the voice of his young son. Dad, (laughs) Dad, yeah, son, can I come sleep in your bed? Yeah, sure. So his dad turned on the light, and his son ran down the hall and got in bed with his father. His dad turned off the light again. It was so dark, you couldn't see anything, pitch dark. And his son said, Dad, are you looking at me? Of course, his dad was laying on his, lying on his side looking at him, and he said, yeah, yeah, I'm looking at you. And that was enough comfort for that boy who'd been through so much to find peace and to go to sleep. And when he went to sleep, the father rolled over on his back and staring up at the ceiling that he couldn't see because it was so dark, he wondered, God, are you looking at me? Are you facing me? And God says continually to us, when we ask that question, yes, 
I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But God, look around this world. It's so messed up. This world is crazy. There's so much going on, so much injustice. There's so much pain. There's so much hatred, so much hostility. God, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like you're looking at me. I'm there. I'll never leave you. You see, when we know, when we are assured that God is with us, it gives us a sense of confidence. It gives us a sense of courage and strength. And it impacts who we are and how we live. And so how did Joshua respond? Look back in the text, verse 10. Joshua ordered the officials, the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. What what does he say? He says, get ready. Get yourselves ready because we're going. We're on the move. We are not going back. There is nothing for us there. We can't go back if we really wanted to. So we're going to go forward and we're going to go with God. And so this morning, I think the message is the same. And I just want to walk through the camp this morning to walk through the camp and say to you, get ready. Get ready. Because God is leading us. We need you to get on board. We need to go together. Get ready. God will not leave us. He will not forsake us. Be strong and courageous and know that he is with us. You see, God is with us. The question is, are you with him? Are you with God? That's the question. And no one can answer that but you. You have the power and the freedom to answer that question. That's the nature of God's relationship with humankind. He gives us the freedom to choose. Have you chosen to be with God? Today may be your day just as it was for Kelly. We got to witness her baptism. Maybe today you're ready to confess your faith that Jesus is the one. He's the Son of God. And you want to take advantage of what he did for you. Commit your life to him in baptism. We'd love to celebrate that with you. Maybe we can encourage you, pray for you. If you're at home watching online, go to our website. Go to the prayer page. Reach out to us or use that QR code to reach out to us. If you're here, we'd be happy to encourage you, lift you up in prayer. If there's something we can do, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.